0: From the front row of the theater to your headphones, this is your Wednesday matinee.
1: The WICB podcast for all things Broadway. We are your hosts,
0: Connor Hibbard
1: and Lou Barron,
0: two certified theater kids with a lot of knowledge and even more opinions.
1: What more can we say? So, Connor, who's in your little black book? That means for anyone listening, that means who do you have the dirt on? Who do you have the tea about in this world?
0: I have information that will lead to the arrest of Malcolm Gladwell. Do you? Dan wow. Rogers,
1: 2019. Oh, is that a, that, is that <laughs> That's a, t- a Dan tweet? tweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we're
0: starting way out there on this tangent. Who's in your little black book, Lou?
1: Man, I I thought of that great question, and I'm not sure what my answer is.
0: But we're not talking about that. We're talking about a different kind of Little Black Book, a A musical
1: album, in fact, yeah,
0: a concept album and a musical called Little Black Book. Little Black Book is a musical slash rock concert hybrid as sung by Heidi Fleiss and her pet macaws. Once a 26 year old Hollywood madam in the early 90s, Heidi now resides in the middle of the deserts of Nevada with 40 parrots. Backed by three fierce backup singers playing all the supporting roles and an all-female rock band, we join Heidi as she muses on how she's been wronged by powerful and manipulative men in an industry based on the exploitation of women, and as she clamors to tell her side of a story distorted by the media.
1: What a musical this is.
0: Yes. What a musical. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it says it's a musical rock concert hybrid, and that it is. This is, is. Uh, has a pop rock, hard rock, sensibilities... And wow, it is, I I listened to this on my drive. I was rocking in my car,
1: jamming. Yeah, and that's really what this, this concept album is. It is the rock concert. It's the songs. And there's plenty of this musical that is not on the album. So I cannot wait personally until there is a production of this live in person. I will be there. Yeah, I we'll will totally we'll be 100% be there getting tickets for it. I only had to listen to it once through. And the songs were already stuck in my head, which I think is such a great indicator of how good a musical is oftentimes. If the songs, if it's that kind of musical and the songs get stuck in your head immediately, there's there's just something about them that sticks and it's good writing. And there are are so many, so many songs that I could shout out on this album. There are so many bangers. Uh, The one that first caught my attention in terms of like, lyrical, musical brilliance was My Much, Much Older Man. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm.
0: That is very funny.
1: funny. Just some of the one-liners are just killer.
0: Uh, Yeah, that was a very funny song. I was actually laughing out loud. The one that that caught my eye was Little Black Book, uh, the title song, sung by Manny Gonzalez. It's the most listened to song on the album, on Spotify at least. And it's my favorite song from the show. It is... Just, it's, it's a really good song. I don't really know how to describe it in technical terms.
1: Yeah, I think there's a reason why it is the titular number. It's a great one. And yeah, I mean, the lineup of women on the album is absolutely incredible. It's mm-hmm. just so on point. You know, the songs are songs that you want to listen to, which I think is not always true of musicals and concept albums and things. Like often I'll listen to a musical once through, Love it, be satisfied, but never feel the need to go back and listen to it again. With these songs, I want to go back and listen to them oh, yeah. again because they they get in your brain, they're earworms. It's a rock concert. They're rock songs. They're inspired, as, as we will say, by some true true rock and musical divas. And it comes across that way. Mm-hmm. It definitely 110% does what it sets out to do
0: it's just because they're jams i mean it's not that they're not lyrically complex and they don't they give you things to think about especially near the end of the show but some of the more yeah. high energy numbers i'm i would just put on my regular playlist um to just jam exactly. out to you
1: we had a really great conversation with billy Reese, and you're gonna hear it right now and right now and i do enjoy
0: Billy Reese is an award-winning writer, composer, and singer-songwriter who recently graduated from Fordham University. In fact, when he was just a senior at Fordham, he wrote the music and lyrics to the hit off-Broadway show A Musical About Star Wars, slated to reopen after the shutdown. One of his most recent projects, Little Black Book, was released as a concept album on April 9th, 2021, and features Jessica Vosk, Mandy Gonzalez, Natalie Weiss, and more. Boasting a high-energy score with a hard rock edge, Little Black Book turns the amps up to 11 and isn't afraid to slam its foot on the gas. Inspired by strong women from Joan Jett to Demi Lovato to Liza Minnelli, this is not a rock concert you will want to miss. Welcome to the show, Billy. Thanks
2: so much for having me. What a great intro. Joan Jett, Demi Lovato, and Liza Minnelli. I want them in a revival of Mamma Mia.
0: That's what <laughs> One. I want.
1: 100 percent.
0: I'm, I'm yeah. on board with that one.
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah it's it's funny because I was listening to the album. I was really loving it and then I found your inspiration playlist. Oh great. And I was like well no wonder I'm obsessed with this because your inspiration <laughs> playlist is actually really similar to my inspiration playlist for a radio show that I do that's all women. And oh, I was like okay great. so this is like all of my favorite people so no wonder
2: I, I love it. was
1: great. Do you yeah.
2: have any Hannah Montana on your playlist as well?
1: Oh, totally. Actually. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have, we have Miley and I think we might have some, some, uh, best of both worlds right on, on there. True. So yeah, 100, All you need. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about your like musical influences and taste and like how that kind of formed for you?
2: Oh, sure. Well, look, I'm a writer who is very inspired by genre and, you know, sort of what genre characters might sing in. You know, I I sort of believe that a lot of new musical theater writers sort of forget that the music is as much a character as the lyrics are. So I sort of, you know, for a show like this, I was like, you know, Heidi Fleiss was this woman who represented, you know, female badassery in the early 90s. So it only makes sense for this score to feel like it was written by, you know, those sort of punk rock, you know, female legends. I wanted it to sound like songs that Heidi would have been, the real Heidi Fleiss would have been listening to on the radio. But, you know, I mean, it it really depends, like I said, on the project. For me personally, I was really influenced by sort of musical theater writers who, primarily a uh, give voice to character as opposed to their own voice, you know, so writers like, like Randy Newman or like Bill Finn was a big hero of mine. Like David Yazbek was a big hero of mine. Like all these writers who like, you can still tell like when a Bill Finn song is a Bill Finn song, but there is also something so quirky and idiosyncratic about those characters as reflected in the music and lyrics.
0: So, Take us through how you landed on Heidi Fleiss' story to tell, the genesis of Little Black Book, and sort of the the beginning journey of this show.
2: Yeah, so I am a writer who is very inspired by sort of three-dimensionalizing characters who have been two-dimensionalized in the tabloids and the media. Um, My first show that sort of got a lot of attention was a show called Balloon Boy the Musical, um, which was about, you know, the infamous uh, 2009 story where a father said his son was stuck in a homemade weather balloon and was sort of about peeling back the curtain on this sort of, you know, modern day. It, 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 basically, that story is like a modern day gypsy. You know, this guy was like, you know, um, a Colorado Mama Rose. So so yeah, so I'm, I'm always sort of inspired by those sort of like weird characters and and character actors, people of a certain age, you know, who might have like in a normal musical might have like one great song in the second act and get the biggest applause in the entire show, but like do not leave the show. So so yeah, so I was put together with this incredible director named Will Nunziata um, through our agents at Paradigm um, maybe two and a half years ago. And you know, that coupled with his sort of knack for being known as sort of like the diva whisperer and sort of allowing uh, iconic women of New York stand center stage and tell their own story. We sort of landed on Heidi Fleiss primarily because there was a Hollywood Reporter article at that time that you know sort of covered her trajectory from you know 26-year-old madam in the early 90s to you know recluse living in the deserts of Nevada with 40 parrots. And I was like, that story is crazy. That is like a character that I want to spend 90 minutes with and hear her story in a really cool, weird, imaginative way. So yeah, so, so, you know, I had been working on this show with Will, you know, who's going to direct uh, the production of it. We had a draft in early 2020, and we were going to do uh, a 29 hour reading of it, obviously COVID, you know, put the kibosh on that. So we said, you know, look, everybody's sort of sitting at home right now. And since this show is structured as a one woman rock concert as sung by Heidi Fleiss. The way into this show will be through the music. So we said, you know, let's just get 11 incredible, diverse, you know, uh, women of Broadway who each might represent a different shade, a different facet of Heidi Fleiss's journey and her life and have them, you know, step in and sing this song, you know, sing these songs. So we, you know, we recorded the entire album from home, 14 women, 12 musicians all recorded remotely and then put together by our brilliant producer and sound engineer um, to make it sound like we were all in the studio together. And you know the the thing that I really wanted to do with this project specifically was not make make sure that this didn't play as a cast album, right? We wanted it to feel like a concept album and make it the best sort of. You know, I didn't want dialogue. I didn't want like you know reprises or anything because there is stuff. In the show that is not reflected on this album and similarly there are things on this album that might not be reflected in the show. So I really just wanted this to just be like the the kick ass sort of intro to this world and this character that we have been developing and will continue to develop.
1: Yeah, so what went into that decision specifically between like the cast album and the concept album, because I think that's probably a decision that that writers have been making as they've been producing their stuff. Right.
2: I definitely was inspired by sort of the great concept album, like the Andrew Wood Webber concept albums from the 70s, the Jesus Christ Superstar and the Evita and, you know, like to, to a lesser extent, the more modern ones like Hadestown or like you could even say like Be More Chill was kind of a concept album because mm-hmm. even though it's a cast album, like it was a cast album for a production that nobody saw, you know. Um, right. so, so yeah, so, I mean, those were sort of our, our templates, right. But specifically like Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita, you know, because I also think Heidi Fleiss is in many ways, a sort of like Ava Perone like figure, you know, mm-hmm. she was sort of like shot down, you know, sort of came from close to nothing, you know, moved to the big city and, uh, changed the world for a quick second in time. And then was shot down before anything else could really happen. So, and Look, if you want to go there, I think there is a Christ-like element to that, too. You know, I mean, sure. Yeah. You know, it's that sort of, like I said, you know, like somebody who was changing the world for a very quick time, who everybody was talking about, and then almost as quickly as they came onto the scene were, you know, completely obliterated.
0: That's that's a great point. It is it's it's a very it, it's just this sliver of history that I myself wasn't familiar with before mm. I approached Little Black Book and. I'm so glad that this, this show shines a light on such a fascinating woman. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And speaking of that woman, you mentioned all the, the leading ladies on this album. What was your role in casting this? What was the process of casting this and how did you decide who sings what song? I imagine that must've been a tough choice. <laughs>
1: That was pretty yeah. Too.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I love casting so much. I really do. And, you know, I, I've been, you know, uh, putting together concerts and stuff in the city for, you know, since I was uh, a freshman in college. So I like, I'm, I just love the sort of emailing people and, you know, getting 10 no's for every yes, but like, but for this, you know, I mean, I think we, we were really lucky to get a lot of our, you know, primarily a lot of our first choices, you know, we wanted women whose voices, not just voices, but like who they were to reflect the songs that they were singing. You know, like I think of a song like Enterprise, right? Which Orfe sings. And she is like the biggest, baddest rocker on Broadway. I was like, there was nobody else who could make that song soar in the way that she did, right? And then you have like Alice Ripley singing Cage Song, you know, who was like always our first choice for that song because she is somebody who represents this beautiful, vulnerability so yeah I mean a, a lot of the the casting was just us sort of emailing people and saying you know like there is nobody else like we can see doing this song better you know I mean obviously we were very lucky to have a small budget to work with and get people involved but yeah I, I, I like still am pinching myself about being able to work with some of these women it really was the coolest coolest way to spend quarantine
1: yeah so as the writer and recording this all in quarantine and everything, did you get to be there or whatever, be there virtually as the recording process was happening? Did you get mm-hmm. to give notes and, and things? And how did that all? Work. Yeah, it depended
2: on on who was singing and like what process was best for them. I mean, that was something that we were also very cognizant of. We were like, you know, times are crazy and like if you don't have the emotional bandwidth like right now to like be in a rehearsal room, like we will respect that, you know. So, so you know, we would we would have a Zoom with all these women beforehand and just sort of talk through the journey of the song and the and the recording process, you know. Um but for the most part, a lot of them I was just sort of like here's the song, like let me know if you have any questions, like good luck, send me what you have. And if I needed any changes, I would ask them for changes. But like 98% of what people sent was like, what is on the album? I mean, it was a time consuming process. But like, I never got like a recording from, you know, someone and had to be like, can you record that whole thing again? I'm sorry, that was just awful. That's just a testament to how incredible these women were, you know, it really was that sort of, you know, quarantine miracle of, everything just sort of coming together remotely um, in this way that is so distinctly 2021.
0: Speaking of 2021, I guess, and back to 2020, we've seen a lot of these cast albums and concept albums come out in the wake of the pandemic when you know people couldn't do live theater. Coming out of COVID, what do you see as the future of cast albums like this in the industry? sort of opportunities do you see for em- emerging writers coming out of this, of this period? Yeah.
2: Well, I think what this period has sort of shown is that people are really excited about the sort of transparency in the development of musicals. What it comes from is us being so hungry for new material from concept albums to, you know, the TikTok musicals, right? Like, you know, the reason that the the, the Bridgerton girls are, you know, so wildly successful. I think that the Best thing about what they did was like live streaming their writing sessions. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a writer do that. And um, so I hope for the future that we maintain sort of this emphasis on being transparent about the creation of shows, because I also think there is something sort of uh, wildly elitist about just developing shows with a hundred people in a room, you know, who are just like super rich and like you know they're the people who get to see you know this show and fall in love with it first. And you know, I think the last year has sort of, because there is so much content and so much like new, exciting, so many new, exciting voices being made, we are sort of opening the floodgates to the democratization of what the art form can be, right? And showing that it is possible for as many voices, sets of ears and audiences to, to hear these shows in development as, as you know, the, the team might want, right? Like, I'm really grateful for this opportunity because you know, people will be able to come to the first production of Little Black Book in a year and a half, two years, already knowing the songs, you know, and in that sense, it will feel like a real rock concert to them, right? Because you don't go to a rock concert without knowing any of the songs, like you're there and you like want to sing along, you know, and for someone like me, I grew up on Long Island. So I was like able to sort of come see shows every now and then, but I really grew up on cast albums, you know, and I would always, you know, uh, uh, learn these shows and listen to them before I saw them. So I think that sort of element of people being able to fall in love with new material before it even hits a stage is just so, so special.
1: And it's it's new, but it's also not new because cast albums have been around, you know, for for a long, long time. And- right,
2: well, and look, I mean, with the concept album thing, I mean, you know, the Jesus Christ Superstar concept album sold millions of copies. Yeah. Like that was right. like a like truly successful album before it was anything else, you know? I think producers and theater makers are going to be a little more creative in the future about how shows get to Broadway um that there is not just one track to, to get there um and that you know we should really be listening to uh you know the, the people in power the money people should be listening to what young people and what you know just normal audience members are listening to and
0: loving I couldn't agree more yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head of why we wanted to start doing this series in the first place. (laughs) There you go. There you go.
2: Well, what, I mean, like what have you guys been listening to as as audience members? Like, what is it that like you want to be seeing when you go back to the theater?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I went on a bit of a, a rant about this a couple of episodes ago, <laughs> mm-hmm. just saying I, I want there to be more avenues for original musicals with teams yeah. that are not already established to right. to come up. So it's not just like that one little slot on the pie chart of the musical that can go from, you know, development, workshop, out of town, tryout. Broadway Best Musical mm. Tony because it seems like there's just one musical every season mm. in the yeah. most recent seasons that has taken that path, and I just mm. want there to be more space for musicals like that to come through, mm. just because so much of that chart is taken up by um, jukebox musicals and more commercialized adaptations, and mm. if because those are the people that already have the resources to put together the show, right and yeah I just want the doors to be opened more. Well that's a
2: that's a big thing for me too and I'm sort of I guess coming at it from a selfish point of view but it's like especially now when theater makers were have been unemployed for a year and a half there feels to me like a fiscal responsibility for producers to actively engage and hire real people who care about the industry and who like are trained theater makers like I I do not want any more producers to be hiring pop songwriters, you know, who have millions of dollars that they're sitting on and will Mm. be fine, you know, if they don't get hired to write the score for this movie musical adaption. Like when you have a property like that, you know, like a, a big budget movie that you're going to turn into a big budget musical, like take a risk on a young writer on an untested writer or like a barely tested writer, right? Because the property is going to sell regardless, you know? And there, and quite frankly, there have been so many Broadway shows that have come, you know, with big pop songwriters attached and completely failed, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. like, if you have the property, like I I think, like I said, it is your responsibility now to monetary uh, uh, um, opportunity to young writers to make a living in this industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A- absolutely. And in that way everybody wins. The producer wins because, like you said, the property is still going to sell, but then mm-hmm. a new composer can can test the waters and get something big and established mm-hmm. on stage.
2: So exactly, exactly. With theater, I'm just so tired of people using the Broadway industry as a stepping stone to you know film, TV, you know, fashion, a blue check, like what have you. Like I, as a theater maker. I'm interested in bettering the theater industry and pushing the form forward and making musicals that make a difference and change the game and, you know, being reverent to what Broadway is and, you know, hopeful for what Broadway can be. You know, I'm not in this just to get a blue check, right? And to like go to the Met Gala or whatever, like, you know, and what whatever, it's fine if you are and you have, you know, if, if, if that works out for you, that's amazing. But like, especially now the theater industry is hurting so much and you know, it's gonna take a lot of work to get it back up and running. And the people who are leading that charge need to be people who care about theater because it is theater. I could rant all day, but-
1: Same. I Please. won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And I mean, you mentioned the the blue check too and like all the whole social media hmm. phenomenon. How how do you see social media too as I know you're on TikTok and you're you're posting and and creating stuff there too like how do you see social media as playing a role in the the forward thinking revolution yeah.
2: Well it gives you a platform right I mean I you know I'm I'm certainly not an influencer right but like I do have people who you know I can post about you know this latest project that I'm working on and they will be excited by it and will and will go to listen to it and that you know, only uh, gets more people excited by it. I mean, I think TikTok specifically, I was really adverse to joining it for quite some time. And, you know, I finally did, and I got like 2 million views in my first month, right? So it's like, I think the algorithm is so, it's the best algorithm for young unknown creators. It it, it leads to democratization, right, of creators, you know? And I wish that the industry reflected that, right? That everybody is on the same playing field. Like, if you have two followers, or if you have two million followers, if you are putting out good content, then people will see it somehow. So, I hope that there is some way that we can sort of physicalize that and manifest that in in the real world. I don't know how, but you know, I'm all for TikTok. It's annoying sometimes. It is the wild <laughs> west, but you know, when it's good, it's good.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. You mentioned it's a that that TikTok and other social medias can just be a a platform for you to explore new work so i Mm -hmm. i guess the next logical question there is what are you working on right now we've heard about uh foul play but is there (laughs) anything you want to mention
2: yeah i mean next up i'm working on a a couple a couple new pieces Uh, we're shopping around little black book right now and um hoping to Get the right person to lead the charge on that, um, with the intention of it, you know, being up and running uh, somewhere in the next year and a half, two years. Um, foul play is, is a big thing, which for those of your listen- for those of you who are listening who don't know what that is, Foul Play is a musical that I'm working on about two queer musical theater writers who get uh, hired to write an apology musical for Chick Fil A, and all that follows. And uh, yeah, and then I'm working on a few different mixed media projects right now that I can't talk too much about. But, you know, I, I will say I, for all the pain and sadness and grief that the last year and a half has caused, I do feel very fortunate that I was able to sit down and focus on writing the pieces that I have long, you know, been wanting to and needing to write over the last year and a half. You know, I had the time and the freedom and sort of the... The bandwidth to be able to do that, so I am, you know, coming out of uh, quarantine with a portfolio that I'm that I'm quite proud of, and you know, Little Black Book was like a big, a big part of that. But you know, I've got two pilots and two screenplays that I've, you know, been shopping around, and you know, obviously a couple theater pieces and an album that I'm really proud of. You know, um, and you know, I, that when I say stuff like that, I feel so bad because, like, you know, not everybody, you don't have to come out of quarantine you know, with projects. But like, for me, I am somebody who like, I will have a mental breakdown if I don't have, you know, 10 plates spinning at one time. So it was really nice to find those plates to be able to spin, I suppose, you know, and make it feel like something was happening.
1: Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. I, I had like two days of summer break where I was just kind of like a potato. And then I was like, okay, what's my project? Like, I need yeah, something yeah. to do.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, especially yeah. now when like for us as young people, right? Like it is so much easier, you know, to to get stuff out there and to like find something to work on, you know, um, and just sort of build something from the ground up. It might have been different if I was like 50 years old and like I relied on like, you know, my next project being like. You know, um, waiting for like an eighty thousand dollar advance coming in from Scott Rudin, like to work on my next my next project. You know, I'm sorry he shall he who shall not be named.
1: But like, <laughs> yeah. you know,
2: I'm I'm like at the point where I'm able to focus on these small sort of rinky dink things that might become something one day. And I'm fortunate, you know, in in that sense.
0: Shall we? Shall we? Uh, shall we move to the uh, the, yeah, the bit? All right. Okay. Well. <laughs> the bit. <laughs> The bit. A, yeah. This
1: transition is the most awkward one. <laughs> <In> every <laughs> shall we move? Like, shall to the we there.
2: go? <laughs> I am on the edge of my seat. Oh wow!
0: Yeah. Please keep this in the episode, Lou. Yeah. Um,
1: sure. Um, so this is our... A, our... A... Go go. Okay. You do, you introduce wait. it. Okay.
0: <laughs> this went poorly. We do a thing at the end of every uh, interview where we ask a, a couple of of musical theater "Would You Rather"s as a sort of. Ooh. Uh, Very nice. Ooh, okay. I'm excited. So our first question is, would you rather be a plastic or a Heather?
2: I think I would, I think I would rather be a Heather because I like that show more.
1: Totally.
0: Simple and correct answer.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Would you rather the next Disney movie musical adaptation be Hercules or the princess and the frog? Mm or something else. So
2: hard. That's <laughs> yeah. so hard because those are the two best properties to musicalize. Well, Hercules is already in the pipeline because of that that Central Park production that they did a couple of years ago. I'm jealous that I'm not the one who wrote it because I love Hercules and I also love Princess and the Frog as, you know, that score is written by my hero Randy Newman. God. I would I would say, you know, I've been on a big Princess and the Frog kick over the last year, I I will give that to Princess and the Frog. I you know
1: just uh, this close really? <laughs> between the
2: two of them. Yeah, but
1: cool.
0: Well, well. Cool. Speaking of adaptations, would you rather compose the score for a movie adaptation musical or write the book for a jukebox musical?
2: Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Um. Well, look. It depends on the jukebox musical. I mean. I think there is no other pop artist who deserves a bio-musical about them uh, like Britney Spears does. Although she has, there is this Britney Spears musical that's coming, but it's not a bio-musical. So I would say if for some reason Britney Spears allowed me to write her bio-musical, I would take that. But for any other, you know, if that was not the case, I would do a movie musical adaptation for sure.
1: Cool. And then we have one more would you rather that's a bit of a long one okay. but all right would you rather see as much live theater as you want for free but never be able to listen to the music at home or have unlimited access to archive recordings cast albums etc but never be able to see live theater ever again
2: I think I would have to go with the first one, especially after this last year, because I have, yeah. you know, I've spent my fair share of time with the bootlegs over the last year and a half, and I'm sort of just raring to get back into a theater. I was not able to score a ticket for the first night of Wicked, um, oh. but I I will be there the second night, so I'm very excited for that. I mean, that's the thing, you know. I look, I'm such a theater history buff, and I like, I'm I am somebody who obsesses over, you know the flops like the like random 1975 show that ran for eight performances you know but like I just think what makes theater special is that it disappears while it happens and I'm just excited to be a part of that process again
0: that was exactly my uh, that was exactly my experience with company I wanted to be there first night and then Mm, and you weren't able to get a ticket did you end up seeing it I have a ticket for the the sixth night back
2: got it got it got got it I'm
0: getting there patty I'm coming
2: Patty, with the with the platinum blonde hair now. Yes.
0: Oh, it's God. so beautiful.
2: Yeah. The casting is exactly the same except for the blonde hair. Except <laughs> yeah. for the blonde hair. I saw that production pre-shutdown and it is it's really excellent. That's, really excellent. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: I can't wait. Yeah. It's very um, exciting. As a as a final question, what do you see as the ideal future of this story, of Little Black Book, I should say?
2: Well, I I will say I'm really grateful that the real Heidi Fleiss is supportive of the show, and, um, you know, we have gotten to have some incredible conversations with her recently, and that, you know, this show is a celebration of a woman who I think was done wrong in the media, and, you know, who deserves uh, a spotlight shown on her and her story in the same way that Tanya Harding got with I Tanya, or like you know all these sort of '90s villainesses, right? The Monica Lewinsky's and like the Lorena Bobbitts and Marcia Clark, right? People who like there was so much money to be made by piling onto them and you know creating a villain narrative around them. So you know I'm I'm really glad that Heidi is supportive of that um, mission, and I would hope in the next year and a half, two years that you know. Me, the real Heidi Fleiss and whatever badass actress of a certain age are at an opening night party, clinking martinis together. And um, and I just hope as many people as possible get to witness this story. And it's a story about a phoenix rising from the ashes and about somebody, you know, moving past the darkness and the things that people said about them. And, you know, their really tortured past, uh, finding a beautiful future and, and feeling hopeful and, and looking towards what is to come and I think that is a story
0: that right now we need more than ever
1: absolutely mm-hmm. could not have said it better all thank right. you
0: so much for yeah, coming this on this show so this was fantastic I enjoyed every second of this oh
2: thank you so much <laughs> for having me thanks for allowing me to rant uh, about oh, the state yes. of musical theater <laughs> yeah, we're that's that's all we're about that here, here
1: at your Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> I
2: love it I love it thank god yeah. well thank you so much for having me guys yeah, yeah thank
0: you thank so much. thank
1: you romp romp that was so good
0: that was we fantastic. just had so much fun
1: and i'm gonna have a really hard time cutting it so if you want to listen to the whole thing definitely go to our youtube
0: yes i i i'm exhilarated right now seriously it was <laughs> a ton of fun billy if you're listening thanks for coming on the show and uh i love balloon boy so much um i'm fascinated by the story
1: yeah, no, I'm I'm not kidding. When Connor saw your website and he saw Balloon Boy, he went, Balloon Boy? It's <laughs> a musical about Balloon Boy, and it's very exciting. So I love uh, Balloon Boy. Yeah. I and love, love Little it.
0: Black Book too. This is a great yeah. show. And um, yeah. I'm so glad we had an opportunity to talk about it. This was fun
1: listening, fun discussing. I think we found a kindred spirit in terms of Broadway ranting. Mm-hmm. So just an all-around wonderful time truly
0: if what, yeah, a romp. I mean, what a romp what a romp indeed yeah. well uh well lou i have some non-sympathetic news for you
1: non-sympathetic news like the song no sympathy on the album little black book
0: unfortunately this episode of the matinee new musical series has closed after just one performance
1: But luckily, we'll be back next week with another interview spotlighting a great new work.
0: If you, you listening right there, just can't wait that long for your Broadway radio fix.
1: I know I can't. Then
0: tune in to the best of Broadway each and every Sunday morning from 10 to noon on 92 WICB.
1: Listen on 91.7 FM in Ithaca, New York, or stream from anywhere on WICB.org.
0: And to hear the music we discussed in today's show, check out 92 WICB on Spotify for a brand new playlist for this series.
1: We'd also like to thank Epidemic Sound for our intro and outro music.
0: If you are aware of a great new musical that we should feature on the show, be sure to send us an email at matinee at WICB.org.
1: And for more content, be sure to follow us at WICB Podcasts on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you.